My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. My first deposit was 30 grand. Um, if you make a mistake when you buy, you, you're, you're honestly stuck. Like, And when I say mistake, I mean if you pay market value, you're stuck. You, you are so reliant on a market deliver growth and if that's really what you're what you're um you know relying on you you can't continue to build that portfolio this is property investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories mindset and strategies i'm tyron shum and in this episode we're speaking with award-winning property investor of the year sam gordon You'll learn from him why it's worth buying properties below market value, how he's done so for himself and for his clients and how COVID has impacted his portfolio plus much, much more. To kick off this episode, Gordon describes a case study about one of his clients who has built up a successful portfolio beginning with buying just one property under market value. He and his partner, um, they had their own they had their own home uh, in Sydney that had a little bit of equity but not, not terribly much and then they had one other investment property in Sydney that they had only bought maybe a year or two before. Um, they kind of drained uh, what they had out of uh, of equity out of the portfolio so they came to me with about $110,000 um, and they had combined incomes that were, they were, you know, not, not, Absolutely crazy, but they, you know, they were probably making around 200, 250k combined. Um, so the serviceability was still strong, but essentially what they were looking to do was was have a, a bit of a rinse and repeat system. Or they came to me with with the willingness to be aggressive in building their portfolio, and I just pretty much provided a, a bit of a rinse and repeat system that we could we could continue employing to uh, to help build it for them. Yeah, that's great. So shortly we'll probably reveal what this rinse and repeat system is. <laughs> it's not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly isn't, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but the first thing is when you when they actually came on board to work with you, what was it that they did first? Because you mentioned that you had an aggressive strategy to be able to help them to grow. Uh, let's talk about actually firstly start off with what they have currently now and then we'll take a step back because it'll be actually interesting to unravel everything. So where they're at at this point in time, how many properties do they have? You know, what they're growing their portfolio to? Yeah, definitely. So uh, at the moment, um, they've they've bought another seven properties um, through me since they started and that was back in November last year. So we're, what are we in now? We've just gone into September. So yeah, in that say 10, say 10 month period, they've, they've, they've picked up seven properties um, and it was really just kind of all off the backing of of coming in with that hundred, it was about one hundred and ten thousand. They came to me with with usable equity, and pretty much they just had that willingness to to look at it from a long term perspective. Like these guys were in their early thirties, they weren't, uh, you know, they weren't 
you know, super young, but they also weren't super, you know, super, you know, in, into their fifties or anything like that. And they just had an aggressive approach that let's just build this thing out while we're young, um, and and then just let time do its thing in terms of the market. If we enter these markets correctly, um, if we can keep pulling this. This, this essentially equity out and keep moving it forward. Um, you know, let, let, let's build this thing as strong as we can now before before any markets start to turn and, and really get in early. Which really, mate, it's, it's a foundation. To, if you look at any strong investors portfolio, they've all started. It all starts and really takes off after you go through a growth cycle. So really, what you want to do is position yourself as strongly in that growth cycle as possible before it takes off. And then once it takes off, it's you know it's happy days after that. You just keep reinvesting, reinvesting that equity and. Um, really you don't have to touch too much of your own money after that point that's fantastic and that's the thing you just let it ride that growth and i think everyone knows you know the city market that boomed you know probably what five six years ago you know that was the one of the <laughs> best rides for a lot of people and, and a lot of people just you know took up the opportunity but not realizing if it's first time for them to actually feel something like that it's not something that just happens every every you know year or something it's something that happens over a period of time and that's where investing comes in because it's more of a long-term play you got to build this up first and then once it hits the right time then it just grows and that's where you know you just got to make sure that you start investing now sooner the better you know rather than leave it later so that's that's exciting seven properties in such a short period of time now i'm curious okay what did you do with them <laughs> <laughs> mate so am i so am i like a, we're, we're we're pretty impressed with the way it all worked and he pretty much just said to me when he came to me he goes mate um if you can make me good money on the way into every deal if I can pull it back out and go into another deal, he goes, mate, I'm happy to keep to stick with you, build my whole entire portfolio out with you. And obviously, to to me, mate, like I'm I'm not a huge I'm not a huge company, a huge business. Um, like I'm very personal, very close to all my clients. So to me, that's huge. If someone says they want to build their whole portfolio with me, mate, I love that. So obviously, took that on board. Um, the very first property we bought, we we picked it up at uh, it was in a good, strong growth location um, based up in Brisbane. We paid uh, two hundred and eighty thousand dollars for it, and at the time, my my estimate was that it would have been worth about 325 to 330,000. So a good like 45 to 50k equity in the deal um, on the way in was kind of um, both, we were both pretty pretty confident on that side of things. Um, the good thing was like the funny thing was when we bought that one we also bought one so directly next door the agent went and prospected the the one directly next door after we sold it and he goes oh we just sold this for this would you be interested in selling and the guy's like you know what i've been thinking about selling i won't pay advertising costs yeah right why not so we bought the next one exactly the same as well um so he's picked both of them up uh, both for around about that, yeah. Both for the for the. Actually, we paid a little over for that one. We paid two eighty five for that one. Paid two eighty for for the initial one, um, and uh, and we got the rev <laughs> when the revals were done were done ninety days post settlement. They came back at three hundred and forty five thousand a pop. They made sixty on one, sixty five on the other. That's like an extra hundred k on top of the equity that they put in. So it's almost like they didn't even need to pull out the equity at all. Well, that's it, mate. Like when he when he's pulled when he's been able to pull it back out, he was able to pull out more than the money he'd initially put into the deal, and still and still essentially leave you know fifty k plus in that in that deal as um as fat in it anyways. That is phenomenal. Did you guys have to do any renovation on those ones, or was it just a buy and buy and hold, and that was it? Yeah, pure below market buy. Yeah. So we um yeah it was mate it was it was definitely bloody good deals and, and he was he was absolutely pumped to have kind of started his portfolio with that and I think that's what gave him the the confidence to be able to keep going as well. Um, obviously there'd been some really really strong um, supporting sales in in the immediate area of it, of it as well. So that's why we got such a good reval. Um, 
and yeah, mate, we pretty much just essentially, yeah, as we we're talking about before, just rinse and repeated it. And when the time came around for, um, you know, for, for round two of buying, which is property number three and four, um, I, I, I changed location a little bit. We essentially targeted the same, the same sort of style assets though and, and kind of went out and bought very similarly. Yeah. So the good thing about what you've been able to find is that it's actually one very affordable type of assets, which is what I, I noticed because they're actually sub three, probably no more than 350 or so. And that's extremely affordable. And two, you know, it's something that you can actually generate a lot of equity with, you know, under market value. So it's basically you, you make your money as soon as you get into the market way before you buy, you know, and that's, that's where, you, you know, you're able to actually draw that equity, leapfrog to the next one and then move on. So yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. And did you, did you stick at those price points for, for the next third, fourth, all the way up to the seventh property? No, so we kind of changed between um, different price points as we went as well. So different ones cost a little bit less and some cost a little bit more. Um, but so the so when, when we kind of moved on from that, we moved into a different area that was slightly more affluent. Um, most of the properties we were looking at were around... So where the other area, my, my kind of opinion was market value at the time we bought was about 325 to 330. Um, the other area that when we went to go and enter was my market opinion on, on properties in that area were probably around about the 340 to 350. Um, and on that deal, we picked that one up at 295. Um, so we, we were able to get a really strong reval on that one. That one came in at 350 on the reval too. Put it in, in perspective as well, Tyrone, these properties are all pulling um, between 350 and 360 a week rent as well. So there's good strong, like they're not, they're not groundbreaking yields, but they're strong enough that these properties are taking care of themselves. While, while this investor is building the foundations of his portfolio um, in a good, strong growth location and making his equity on the way in, he's got enough cash flow there to support it as well to keep him, you know, to keep him moving forward and not to not to worry about, um, you know, that from a cash flow perspective. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that means then, hopefully, once he's purchased all these with all the transaction costs and the equity that's gained. His property portfolio is basically covering itself. He doesn't have to put any more money in every week to be able to sustain that portfolio and to allow for it to grow. And you've purchased them, you know, in good areas as well, which has potentially got growth in, or actually has got growth already because you've already purchased it under market value. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, mate. Like I think he was he was telling me his um his figures the other day. They were pretty pretty solid in terms of what he's made equity wise. But he's still running even on those. I call them bread and butters, right? They're kind of like foundational investments. Um. With those properties, just on those alone, I think four of those kind of foundation style investments, and just those are generating him about two. I think he's up around ten to twelve thousand positive just off those ones, um, because they've got depreciation as well, which we can factor in on on those. But yeah, even just just on the cash flows alone, you're up around about that ten thousand plus across those forces. Even just a good little bit of fat once, and that's once he's pulled the equity back out of him and reused it for the next purchases. Yeah. So roughly, if you said it's about 90 days when you go back in to do a reval. So if you've done seven, I'm just working out the numbers on 90 <laughs> days. It's like 360. Yeah, it's been pretty much a year. So every 90 days, you guys are doing a reval to be able to pull it and that's kind of, kind of like you know rolling it across. Well, it's, it's a continual rolling process. So so what we did was we, we bought his first one. I think that was in November that we bought his first one and then we bought his second one with the second deposit in December. And by the time 90 days rolled around from the first one, uh, we were doing the revile and the pre-approval and purchasing pretty, you know, not too long after that one. By the time that purchase was through, the second property had been 90 days. So we were able to refi out and that's why it was a kind of a continual rolling process through there as well. And I'm wondering, has he had to lift a finger? You must have been doing all the hard work for him. <laughs> it's like, yep, you just go for a Sam and you just build it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. 
much. Like he was just, he, like we were, we probably talk. I was even talking to him this morning because I'm buying something for his uh, for his brother at the moment. We've got a deal going through for his brother at the moment as well. But we would we talk multiple times a week. Like even now that he's not, he, he's he's um, he's purchased his he, like his seventh one has just gone through, and he's on the back burner at the moment in terms of purchasing. He's waiting for so. So put in perspective, the fourth deal we bought for him was was heavily below market in a good growth area, but it also had granny flat potential. So once we rounded out the purchasing of that we did in his portfolio, he's now gone back and he's building that granny flat just to boost up the cash flow. So that deal alone um, at a 90% land is up around about, uh, it's over 14,000 per annum positive cash flow. Um, so that's what he was ringing me about this morning. We are talking about his brother's deal and he just leased the front house for above what we thought we were going to rent it for as well because vacancies are just super tight at the moment. And, and yeah, so he's got he's got a really good rental on on that. And um, yeah, Granny Flat's being finished next week and we're going to rent that one too. And it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see who we pull on that because we, we were projecting, I'm, I'm very happy with, with 8% uh, returns in a, in a good capital city market, good growth location. If we can do 8% returns, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, with his one and the way the market's tightened in terms of vacancies at the moment, we're looking. If we pull, if we pull what we want on the granny flat, um, we're going to be we're going to hit nine percent um, on his one for that. And we're like twenty, I don't know, twenty five minutes from the Brizzy CBD as well. So he's pretty, he's pretty stoked. Man. <laughs> that is phenomenal. I mean, especially in that you know, if you're if you're buying a property inside the CBD area or close in the capital city, there's pretty much um, a, a good. Good solid. You know that there's going to be growth in the. You know, if you hold it for ten plus years, you're going to get solid growth, and that's what usually happens. If you look at how the Sydney market, the Melbourne market, and Brisbane market, they've all moved. You know, in the last ten years, they've all either doubled, obviously at different rates and different times, but eventually it will. It's just a matter of holding on. And this is the thing: if he's buying seven properties now and holding on to them, just wait ten years. Even if he does nothing now, he's already got a portfolio that's you know growing there. Yeah, definitely. Man. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> so what what's this investor's goal? What what's their why behind you know why they're building this? He's essentially just got a he's kind of got a net wealth target. So what he wants to do is he essentially it, well in terms of the portfolio he wants his portfolio to, to hit ten million um, in terms of a in terms of a, a gross value, um, and he just he wants to hit two hundred thousand uh, per annum passive income. So that's why we are putting some of these granny flat deals, um, and we've got a few other kind of. High, high cash flow deals that we're working on with him as well that we'll more than likely we'll be looking to once his granny flat deal is done and all the kind of dust has settled from everything he's purchased over the last 10 months um, at the back end, uh, back end of this year that's when we're more than likely going to go out and um, look to acquire a few more high cash flow assets as well just to keep pumping a bit of income back into the portfolio um, but yeah he, the, the gross portfolio value that he wants to hit is, is 10 million he wants to hit that 200,000 passive as well so um, I'd say yeah he's definitely well on his way to hitting that Coming up after the break, we discuss how buyers can get stuck and how to avoid it. If you make a mistake when you buy, you, you're, you're honestly stuck. Like, And when I say mistake, I mean if you pay market value, you're stuck. Where he started and how much he started with? I definitely didn't start out with 100. Um, you know, I started out with a much smaller amount but grew it to a portfolio within 10 years that was, pretty, was around about that $6 million figure. We hear about his relationships and his connections that are in the field. So many of the guys that I do big, big volume with and big numbers with, um, are people I would probably call mates as well, like I would. I would call mates, you know, a handful of people, a handful of these agents that I work with. And I think that's the thing. It's it's creating those relationships. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory.
interested in finding great deals like Sam Gordon does? If the answer is yes, then let Sam help you find them since he does this all day every day. When you work with Sam, he'll include a strategy session to help you put together an actionable property plan to help you build your portfolio just like him. Simply text 0499881040 and quote APS. Gordon expands on the strategy behind his granny flat additions and talks about how many properties he would need to accumulate to reach that $10 million mark. His whole portfolio at the moment is running between properties that have between a 6% yield and a 9% yield. Um, and what we're going to do is when we get to the back end of an accumulation phase, we will look to start doing pay down strategies as well. Um, so like it's, he's probably going to, he's probably going to hit his, um, his probably passive income target before he's going to hit his 10 million in Val. I think what he's looking to do is uh, is accumulate. He's, he's looking to accumulate $6 million portfolio that then goes through a growth cycle and doubles. So he's going to hit his, his 200, where he hit his 10 mil portfolio. He just wants to carry that through a growth cycle to, so that it goes through to, to that sort of uh, that sort of value. Yeah, and that makes absolute sense because you know it's just a matter of time. This is a long-term asset play. As soon as you, you accumulate a certain amount of properties and you hold it say for 10 years like you know you, you stop that growth phase or sorry stop that accumulation phase and you just let it grow it will yes. double and then basically he's got that passive income already as yep. you've said there so yeah, 100%, essentially it's just you got to mix it with the right balance of stuff and yep. what kind of properties are you actually recommending at this point in time for him or finding for him to be able to help with that because you know it, it also comes out down to the right asset class you got to choose type of assets yeah definitely look at the moment his servicing is still okay like he's starting to tap a little bit with servicing with certain lenders so what we're doing next is we're going to add a few more of these high cash flow deals in at the back end of this year he's probably going to look to pick two more of them up that will bump his servicing back up um and then and then from there we'll look to accumulate a few more of these uh, uh heavily below market in growth location assets once he's tapped with good mainstream lenders um, on that side of things, that's when we're probably at the moment. What the plan is is from that point. That's when we're going to turn to some high, uh, sorry, to some small developments. We're going to start pumping some small developments through um, and look to make a, a nice big chunk deal from that. And that should give him a nice big hit of capital to then decide what he wants to do with. And whether we're just going to reassess the portfolio once we get to that point um, as to whether we go and stick it, whether we split it up. We'll probably roll the initial capital that went into the development. We'll probably roll that into another development to keep chucking him some some capital. Um, but the uh, that hit of capital, sorry, the hit of profit that comes out of that deal, we'll 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 be tossing up at that point whether we go and stick it into into um, some high cash flow deals or again accumulate another big below market um, equity play, so a high growth high growth deal. So it's really 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 interesting and fascinating. And I guess the topic that we wanted to talk about particularly that's the reason why we kind of painted this yeah. picture uh, about <laughs> this particular client because the key at the moment in his accumulation phase is to find properties that are under market value. And probably maybe we should just have a, I guess, a chat a little bit about why it's so important. I mean, we've kind of given the picture and painted why this person has actually been able to accumulate more properties. But what, why do you think it's so important to try and find properties on the market, eh? And then let's talk about how, how you've been able to do it very successfully too. Yeah. Look, I think probably the, the, the easiest way to kind of describe it is, is I look at myself when, when I started out. I didn't make. I wasn't making very much money. I was on like a 35k per annum salary. I'd say my first deposit was 30 grand. Um, if you make a mistake when you buy, you, you're you're honestly stuck. Like, and when I say mistake, I mean if you pay market value, you're stuck. You you are so reliant on a market 
to deliver growth. And if that's really what you're what you're um, you know relying on, you, you can't continue to build that portfolio. So if you want to essentially, for want of a better description, take your you know your destiny and your portfolio in your own hands. If you can go out there and buy heavily below market and you can make a really good margin on the way into that deal, it means you can pull it out and keep going, right? The same, the same way that this fellow did, um, you know, any, anyone can do it in, in that sense in terms of being able to pull it out and keep moving forward. Um, it's honestly so crucial because of that. You, you, you honestly get stuck, mate. You get stuck if you can't do it. And even, but even you look at people who might be walking in from, let, let's say they've gone through the Sydney boom and, and their house was worth a million bucks and they had half a million debt on it and it's just gone to $2 million um, and they've got a one and a half million dollars equity still sitting in that deal. Just because they, sorry, in their, in their, in their own home, just because they have so much equity in their own home, it isn't. I mean, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be going out trying to source as heavily below market as well. It's, it's all about return on investment. And if you can accelerate and, and multiply that to a, to a very high level from the very, very start by purchasing really, really well, it's going to put you so far ahead of the game every time. And I think I think that is honestly why it's so important. It, it just maximizes everything. And and you look at it from a, from a simple perspective. You go back to, to my portfolio at the very start. My first deposit, you know, how far I stretched those funds from that very first deal to have a look at the return on investment from the very first 30 grand that I put into my portfolio compared to where my portfolio is now, you know, 10, 10 plus years on. The return on investment from that first deposit would be ridiculous because I was able to refinance it back out because I bought well and and go and put it into other deals. And I think that's the thing that the return on investment just gets absolutely blown away as opposed to if you're, especially in terms of timeframes, it gets blown away um, if you're able to pull it out and keep moving forward in that sense. Yeah. And this is the, the thing to try and understand as well and probably people can't picture it as well and I'm, I'm trying to also picture this in my head. Let's, let's run some numbers across. Say, for example, you had easy numbers like $100,000 in equity that you could actually use to invest into property. If you actually invested that 100K into say maybe an a investment that would give you say 20% per annum, I think um, over a period of 10 years with say maybe punching in maybe an extra 10K per year just to compound it and you compound that over, in 10 years time, you would have about a million dollars in cash. That, that's one method. Let's say we, we instead of doing that and we put 100K into building a property portfolio and you built a por- portfolio up to say maybe 6 mil as we're talking about this particular client. What what are sort of the, I guess, comparables that you can do besides having an asset of say $6 million compared to like a million dollars in cash? What are other, some of the benefits that you can actually see from that? Because I'm just trying to explain to the listeners why it's so, so important to actually try and buy property and build por- a property portfolio with it under market value as well. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think the thing is all about that leveraging component because you can leverage the bank's money. You can keep pulling that deposit out and keep moving it. That's what can allow you to build a portfolio of that size. Um, I guess the other side of things with with as you build it like that, that's actually pretty similar to, to what I did, Tyrone, when I started out. I definitely didn't start out with 100. Um, you know, I started out with a much smaller amount, but grew it to a portfolio within 10 years that was, pretty, was around about that $6 million figure. Um, when you throw it into the mix, the fact that that portfolio also has about two and a half million dollars equity and provides. Well, today it was, the portfolio is up around about it's over a hundred thousand um, per annum passive. It's not just a million bucks in the bank. It's being able to leverage that and keep moving it forward. Um, 
and what you can do off that off that initial kind of off those initial monies and off those initial deposits. Honestly, it's it's um, the return on investment is crazy from that side of things. Exponential, and that's what I love to hear because I think at the end that you've been there, you've done it, and you know you're at that stage already with that small deposit from turning from say thirty thousand to six mil plus whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great headline actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad, eh? <laughs> Maybe should run with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll run with that. It's like a, a two thousand percent return or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it goes to show how important it is to actually one, buy in the market value, continue to build your portfolio, especially as early as you can and then to let that happen. But at the same time, you know, have the right advice and the guidance as well from the people around you, especially especially having a great team as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, it, it's, it's great that we talked about that and I think there's been a lot of great learning lessons from that. I'm also curious with regards to buying on the market value, let's talk about the how, you know, how have you been able to find these type of deals because that's the challenge. I think most of us investors, one, don't have time, two, don't really have the skills to be able to do it all the time and because you're in the market all the time looking for these deals, you can obviously get in contact with the right people to help with that. How, how maybe just give some really, really simple, I guess, um, tips or, or maybe just strategies on how you go about it. You don't have to tell everything you know, that you're doing at this point in time but just share with the audience you know, maybe just a few little tips that have worked really, really well to help you find these great deals. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think I think the biggest point you hit just there was was all about having the amount of time that I now do it. Like in terms of now, I do it full time, um, and the deals that I used to find for myself back when I was running it part time. Um, compared to the deals that I find, you know, for clients now, it's the comparables, uh, they're nowhere even near each other. And it's because back then, all I thought was whatever's on market, negotiate whatever's on market as hard as I can. And I didn't really know about the off-market channels until I started getting toward, you know, 10 plus properties. I started realizing that they were other channels that, that I could work on and negotiate. And I think from that side, like it's, it's being in the market all the time having the connections and knowing the right agents to have connections with and working with them literally on a daily basis. And so many of the guys that I do big, big volume with and big numbers with, um, are people I would probably call mates as well. Well, like I would, I would call mates, you know, a handful of people, a handful of these agents that I work with. And I think that's the thing. It's, it's creating those relationships. And I think that's the problem with trying to do it on your own. And it was a problem that I always had when I was younger as well, trying, trying to go out there and do it on my own. It's very, very hard to create those relationships when you aren't, um, you know, speaking to them almost on a daily basis or at the minimum on like a weekly basis, uh, working with them on seeing what's coming through. And when, when they know that you're someone that can, can shift stock quickly and, and all the rest of it and, and, they're willing to take a little bit of a hit on, on their sales price, on their comms. Their comms really doesn't take much of a hit if, if, if they shave 10% off a price for you. And I think that's that's one of the big things. It's just having those connections, um, working those connections. And, you know, I think one of the other big things that I found with with those guys that I've been working with, and I'm not sure how many other people operate, you know, on this same sort of level, but, but I... I'm pretty firm when I'm saying no to a deal that they're trying to kind of shove down my throat as well. Like when they really want help with a deal, if it doesn't stack up for a client, like if I wouldn't buy the thing myself, I, I just, you know, I'm just, I'm very firm. And I just say, look, mate, I'd love to be able to help you, but it doesn't, it doesn't work for us, you know, and, and just have to, we, we just have to pass on this one, you know, like, um, yeah, 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 sorry, man, but there's, you know, not much I do. I get, I get paid to find the best deals I can and that thing doesn't stack up for us. And I think it's on that side. It's working in there and they, and they have respect for that. And then they, they learn after one or two, you know, let's not waste each other's time or kind of integrity on that side of thing as well. So, 
I totally agree. And that's that's shows a sign of respect as well too because the last thing you want to do is have all these deals come through and then half of them just don't match and work up. Then you're just wasting each other's time. And that's great because then that way you can have a lot more volume, a lot more deals coming through that are going to be really, really you know high quality and suitable for the clients as well. And make sure that you're going to be able to find the best under market value for them as well, which is ideally, you know, our time is our money, you know, at the end of the day. If an investor just is working full-time or they've got a business to run, they don't have time to go out and source these deals. That's why they rely very heavily on having a great team around them, such so as you know, working with you and so forth. And that I think is, is just one of the crucial factors that I think a lot of us don't realize as well. Plus, you know, you don't have to go through all that headache of back and forth <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> well, that's the big thing as well, right? Like it's, it's, it's the agents knowing how you negotiate as well. And they kind of almost, a lot of them condition sellers. They condition sellers like, that something's probably going to come through, you know, well, we've got this problem, that problem, you're probably going to have something else we're going to have to work on here. And it's good having that, uh, you know, being, having doing it, you know, so consistently as well, kind of you get, trust me, you get so much better <laughs> the more you do it as well. From when I used to buy, you know, maybe two properties a year to now where, you know, it's, it's a very, very different level to that. Um, yeah, you definitely get a lot sharper on that side of things. It's really fascinating and I used to be a real estate agent as well too and I think at the end of the day, they just want to be able to close the deal because if, if they don't meet their sales targets or they don't you know, get the properties turned over, they don't get to eat because a lot yeah. of them are commission only. So That's it, man. <laughs> that, that's the challenge that we face and I think the reality is that we all just want to close a deal whether or not it be if you get a higher price, yeah, to their comms, it might only just be a fraction. Different story if you're in a high, different type of market like where you're selling yes. luxury properties and boutique properties up in the millions of dollars. Different story there. You know, you, your comms yeah. by a little percentage is going to have a huge impact on what you yeah. see. But we're talking about investment properties here which are, you know, on the low end. Might only be a few hundred dollars. Forget it. I just want to turn it over, move it forward. Yeah, definitely. And that's it. And that's what so many of them are like. They just be so much better just to be done with it, cut that thing and just move on to the next ones. Yeah. Great. And what do you see at this point in time in terms of the market that you're working in? Are you find due to the pandemic, things have slowed down, improved, increased? You know, what, what's happening on that side of things? In terms of the market, the market's actually definitely improved. Um, from what we saw, like probably those first couple of months when COVID hit, like especially that first month in March and heading into April, um, it was the most favorable buying conditions I've ever seen in my 10 years of investing. Um, Put it in perspective, I, I picked a couple of properties up myself. It was that good buying. And I what, what it was as well was I, I had clients that got a bit nervous with the market how it was. It was understandably so, but I'd already been working on these deals for different people. And then when the deals came through, I didn't have the clients ready. That's when I picked a, I picked a couple of deals up around that sort of time. Um, and I think the thing is, it's, it's, it's a very, very different market now compared to what it was back then. So now, uh, there's a lot less stock on the market. A lot of people are holding firm with where they are. They don't really, really want to move around as much as, uh, as much as maybe previously was the case. I think that's also why vacancy rates have taken a massive dive and, and, and all the markets that we operate in right around Australia are really, really tight with vacancy rates at the moment. We're talking like our, probably our most loose market is one and a half percent, which is, which is really tight. And, and our some of our tightest markets are you know 0.1, 0.2%. 0.2%. So you're putting that in perspective. The markets are actually holding very, very firm, and it's coming back to the way we're finding our best deals at the moment is just working those off-market channels as hard as we can because there's always sellers out there in this market. We're finding there's always sellers out there that don't want to take things. You know, owner occupiers don't want to go to market, and tenants um, don't want people coming through their homes in open homes and stuff. So that's where we're getting our best deals and, and really working those channels. And and we're getting 
agents that are loving it as well because they're like, well, it's a quick, easy sale. If I can get a, a seller that's happy to do this, it's so easy for us. And and so, you know, it's where um yeah we're having we're having a good bit of you know some good times in that. If you learn a lot from the episode, stay tuned for future episodes where Sam Gordon and I will continue to share with you more property stories from his own journey. Also, did you know when you work with Sam, he'll include a strategy session to help you put together an actionable property plan to help you build your portfolio just like him. Having a solid plan is the difference between success and failure. Simply visit australianpropertyscout.com.au and fill out the contact form or text 0499881040 and quote APS. Thanks for listening. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.